soldiering should be much easier. The walls of the palace seemed to close in upon me as if I were prisoner here, not master. My leather boots had worn a furrow in the old stones as I paced round and around and once more for good measure. Out onto the balcony, looking down into the valley where the rain pounded the long drive to the outer gate. The street lamps bowed their heads against the unexpected onslaught. My mind was far away in the innards of the palace, both fretting and convincing myself I had no cause to fret. A crisp knock on the door forced my attention back. The orderly entered with the cloth-covered tray and the makings of my tea, delicate porcelain and gleaming silver for the chief warden. The scalding hot tea was refreshing, which was more than could be said of the air. The rain had finally abated, but the air was dank and muggy. The sweat under my starched collar and down my fiercely erect back was infuriating. A dog barked somewhere, distantly. I waited for the news. Good or bad, it must come soon, so I relished the tea and the brief repose it brought. The sun was setting, which meant the hour was nigh. I stepped out onto the balcony again and looked futilely down. A drenched dog huddled and rainwater puddled under the lamppost. Did I hear another knock? I turned back resignedly. Like Duncan, it summoned me to heaven or to hell. I stiffened my spine and called, Enter! The white face on him told the whole story. Before he was two steps into the room, I was striding out, the baton swinging uselessly at my side. Uselessly, I say. For what could batons beat into whatever was troubling me in this wretched palace? The flagstones rang with the sharp sounds of boot leather. I led the way through the corridors and across the painted courtyards, down the steps deeper and deeper into the bowels of the palace. This was the heart of the prison. It had been a busy palace for Man Singh Tomar and his family of eight wives and countless children. There must have been notchkas and music and zananas full of wives and rustling silks and precious gems. The courtyards must have rung with music and dance as the man himself watched the proceedings from an elevated seat and the women peeped from behind the stone trellis. All that was over. The women had been turfed out, the men too, and all the indulgences had been stopped. Yet one couldn't help but notice the magnificence of the palace itself. Ingenious architecture, beautiful carvings and luxurious interiors, technical innovations that we were happy to use and replicate, massive walls built to keep out the scorching summer heat of Gwalia, pierced by small tunnels bringing cool, fresh air from the tree-clad mountainsides. These tunnels bent and twisted on their way in, so no stray arrow could exploit their path to endanger the royal inhabitants. There was even some kind of communication device 
burrowing unseen through the walls, leading to the ramparts, so that this Mansingh fellow could instruct his troops while he stayed safely indoors. This nasty bit of rumour had gained ground too rapidly, and I was determined to destroy it this day, root and branch. Somehow we had kept it scotched on the first day, but I was not going to let it explode in gossip and rumour, destroying discipline and morale in the ranks. I passed through one of the octagonal rooms that had been the preserves of the royal ladies. They now held prisoners, each chained up to hooks in the eight arches. The captain snapped to alert even before I entered, but his face was ashen. His eyes sought mine hesitantly and skittered away like a nervous horse. We are fine, we are fine here, sir. The trouble is only at the the next level down. I can get anything I want from these men simply by threatening to send them down if they are not forthcoming enough. My fury was incandescent. This nonsense was unacceptable in a British prison. And my own men succumbing to the rumours and presenting these wayfaces? Bah! I would have to deal with them. They would feel the lash of my tongue. But first, I had to go that one level down and deal with this claptrap. Maharani is indeed... I charged down the staircase, still bristling with hot anger and righteousness. But as I came to the last few steps, I felt a distinct change in the air. The inside of the palace was always cool, especially in these deep interior rooms. But this was ultra cool, unnaturally frigid. A shiver slithered uninvited up my damp back. At the bottom of the stairs, outside the room, sat four prisoners, huddled together with their faces averted from the main chamber. Standing over them, but just as terrified, were my men. No one said a word. So, I could unmistakably hear the sound of women laughing and chattering in native tongues. One of them was singing something unintelligible but gaily pretty, while others chimed in occasionally with snippets of the song or kept time with claps and finger snaps. I hate to admit it, but the red heat that had accompanied me down those steps had dissipated. My hands were cold and clammy. I pushed past my totally emasculated men and entered the octagonal room. It was empty, not a living being in it. Yet it rang with the sounds of disembodied women singing and dancing. You could hear them moving about and you could hear their anklets ringing. I marched around briskly, commanding my pounding heart to be still. I certainly hadn't put the Maharani's to death. So why were there ghosts wandering about here anyway? racketeering and disturbing the peace. I strode watchfully under the arches and into the centre of the room, through another of the arches and back in. Nothing. Nothing. Just the incorporeal sounds of merriment. 
I stood silently in the middle of the room, in a slight depression where a fountain had once played, and brought my mind and breath under control. It wouldn't do to show doubt after having rubbished the chatter the previous day. My men peered anxiously at me through the entrance. I slapped my boot with the baton, and the sound rang like gunfire. Everyone jumped. Get them up! I barked at the captain, and the prisoners started whimpering about dying rather than going back in there. And my own men were whiter than white. Take them up one level and look for that Shastri chap. Bring him to me in my command room. I snapped out the instructions and preceded them up the stairs, leaving the cowering creatures to obey. For all my refusing to believe in ghosts, there was no denying the fact that those Maharani's were singing and dancing merrily in that room. Their family room it had been, where they and their children spent time with the Maharaja when he was so inclined. It appeared they were unwilling to give up their right to the place, despite my orders. And if they had given the natives and even my men the spooks, who could blame them? I marched up the stairs across the courtyards and back to my chambers, I snapped out another tight-lipped command for Shastri. He was a wily chap and always seemed to know everything going on in this vast complex. I waited impatiently in my room, pacing and peering down at the gate, the empty courtyard and the silent lamps, till I heard his scampering, scuttling steps in the corridor outside. What do you have to say, Shastri, about this Maharani's ghost's nonsense? You must have heard the rumours, but you're a closed-mouthed fellow. I've just been there and heard everything myself, and I have my own theories. But let's see if you're as clever as you claim you are, eh? He wrung his hands and smiled at me in his oily way, and I wrapped my knuckles on my desk trying to cover my relief. He had an answer. That wily smile was his tell. I'd come to recognize it very early in our association. You know everything, it seems, sir, so it's no use my denying it. Do you want to see for yourself? And since I so evidently knew everything, I agreed to let myself be shown this so obvious truth. He led the way out of my chambers, scurrying and hopping in his haste to lead me with my much longer and brisker stride. We climbed to the massive terraces, and in the dark night, and under the quiet witness of the stars, we heard, before we saw, a group of native serving women singing and dancing, clapping and tinkling their ankle bells as they twirled about. They hadn't seen us approach in the dark and so they continued in their merriment until Shastri cried out and gave a few sharp claps and in a flurry of swirling skirts and hastily draped pardas, they pulled away hurriedly and fled on light steps down another of the myriad staircases of this huge palace and disappeared from view. Shastri led me confidently to the place where they'd been dancing and the penny slowly started to drop. 
As he pointed out the feature concealed in the terrace walls, I realized what it was. The speaking tubes to carry the king's commands from the interior of his palace to his troops up on the terrace. No one had realized except this wily old fox that they carried sounds the other way too. The innocent bit of fun being had by the native women had been ascribed to an otherworldly origin and had turned all our stomachs to water native and white alike i was loath to admit after a bit more parading about knowingly on the terrace the two of us made our way downstairs to my chambers i maintained the appearance that i had known all along and that no white man could ever fall for such nonsense erasing from my memory my officers white faces and the looseness i had felt in my own bowels i gave him permission for the news to be leaked throughout the length and breadth of the palace of how the gutless and witless prisoners had been reduced to a mass of quivering jelly by a few women singing and dancing innocently on a rooftop Shastri rubbed his hands together gleefully and scuttled from the room to spread the news which would make him a hero all over again. But not before I glimpsed another of his oily looks sent through his scanty eyelashes in my direction. For all my play acting and the swelling of my manly chest beneath my crisp uniform had the bounder figured out that i'd been as foxed and as fearful as the next guy and that his solution and his assumption that i'd solved it myself too had been a huge face saver or had he always known from the very start and still presented it this way and now did he know that i knew all this and did he know that i knew that he knew and if so Did he now have me by the short and curlies? That's what consumes my thoughts these days. Pah! Soldiering should be much easier.